Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Subway. Come on down to Subway in Keensburg, New Jersey on January 22nd from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. where there will be a special meet and greet with WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. USA himself, Tony Atlas. Also remember, all six-inch subs are buy one, get one free, so you can enjoy some great food while meeting a WWE Hall of Famer. So yet again, that is January 22nd from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Come on down to Subway Kingsburg and meet Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. We hope to see you there. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling!
champions history made. Woo! I don't believe it. Right here in the structure. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the two-year anniversary special brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at That Wrestling Club. Head on over to thatwrestlingclub.com and find out everything about the brand new subscription box service that is slowly but surely taking over the professional wrestling industry with some of the most innovative and unique items that you're ever going to come across. And it's only going to be found in a That Wrestling Club monthly box subscription. And coming this week, you can get your very own free box subscription courtesy of That Wrestling Club by following us on Twitter and retweeting our special two-year anniversary hashtag, which is going to be released on Twitter as you are listening to this. So head on over to Twitter and retweet and share the special two-year anniversary tweet to get yourself a free, and this is only one, free subscription box courtesy of That Wrestling Club. One lucky listener is going to get a That Wrestling Club Sample subscription for one month, courtesy of those awesome guys over at ThatWrestlingClub.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner for two years, the one and only John Paz. And John, as we reflect upon two years, and I think this is something we've done on all the big milestone episodes, we kind of scratch our heads and we look back at what we've kind of gotten ourselves into And today's episode being the two-year anniversary plays so well into what the one-year anniversary was, and that was a special interview with Tito Santana. And how can we top ourselves with that interview? Well, by having Tito Santana's possible greatest opponent in his career be our guest today, and that is the one and only WWE Hall of Famer and former Intercontinental Champion, Greg the Hammer Valentine. That's right. Let that set in. Greg the hammer valentine i know everybody kind of just put their fist and laid that hammer down dropped that elbow down greg the hammer valentine was such an awesome guest to be the two-year anniversary special was actually uh there was supposed to be somebody else's the two-year anniversary special but when greg the hammer valentine was uh kind of brought to me by john obviously we both looked at each other and we said this has to be the two-year anniversary special And what an episode it is is as we take a walk down memory lane, as you would expect. But we also kind of talk about some of the current stuff going on, which I know when you talk to an older guy, it's like, all right, it's good to get his take on the current stuff, but we want to talk about some of the great moments of their career. Well, with the Hammer, he is so topical and he is so well uh, attuned to what's going on in the business that it's kind of refreshing to hear from a guy of his stature look at the business today and give you a really uh, just a very cool take on what he thinks is going on in the business and john i think you would definitely agree that the hammer and his contributions to professional wrestling are unparalleled obviously his family history is on another planet and the great johnny valentine who we do get to talk about and we hear about the fact that there's going to be a johnny valentine book coming out more or less about the stories related to johnny valentine than just his actual autobiography which is pretty sweet because you hear so many crazy stories about johnny valentine and greg's ready to get that out to the world in the next uh year or so but john greg the hammer valentine he fits the two-man power trip of wrestling profile so well he's just another hall of famer in an, on a line of hall of famers he's another great intercontinental champion in a line of great intercontinental champion guests that we've had but obviously with the hammer you think about so many things but 
As we approach this two-year anniversary here, what are some of your thoughts and reflections on Greg the Hammer Valentine as well as some of the finer moments that had to do with our past two years? Yes, Chad. The two-year anniversary special, the two-year anniversary show for the two-man power trip of wrestling. And boy, has it been an amazing two years. I mean, we've had so many awesome, legendary guests and amazing moments on this show. We've come a long way in two years from a very uh, small, short show to sometimes a very long, extended epic show so just absolutely love what we've been able to do and what we've been able to accomplish in just two short years just think about just a few i don't want to go crazy here because i can literally go on all day and all night so i'll just name a few really key moments of the show a few really key interviews if you will like when we had on the american dream dusty Rhodes, which happened to be his last ever interview and that was truly an amazing moment for us here at the show very bittersweet but great to be a part of the history of Dusty and great to be attached to that name especially being uh, that the American Dream is one of the greatest of all time and I truly feel honored and special that we were the ones to get that last interview you know Chad we've had a combined uh, I'd say about over 60 years of, of watching wrestling you know between us so it's great that uh, true fans and, and true quote-unquote marks had to uh, you know get that experience and really really um, were honored to be able to say that we've had his last interview just awesome stuff and then, you know, a different interview of a whole a whole different sort was our interview with Jerry McDivitt. Obviously, if you go to the uh, Wrestling Radio Awards and go check that out, you can vote for us. It's one of the, up for one of the media interviews of the year, and obviously, well, it should be, because you don't see a lot of other shows interviewing Vince McMahon's lawyer, a guy that has saved Vince and the WWF numerous times. Awesome interview, great stuff. Talk about steroids, we talk about the Hogan, we talk about the Vince trial, we talk about Everything, Jim Neidhart trial, everything A to Z, steroids, um, ECW, WCW library, the WWF uh, royalties. So that's that was an awesome episode. And, of course, to be mentioned as one of Rolling Stone's top podcasts was truly awesome. And I'd like to really thank Rolling Stone again for that. It was a really cool moment to see that and a little bit shocking, but... Uh, you know, pretty great. And um, I'd like to think it was well-deserved. So thank you, of course, to Rolling Stone. Now, now, as I switch gears here and talk about this episode and why we pick this man, obviously one of the greatest of all time, former U.S. champ in the NWA, former tag champ in the NWA, former tag champ in WWF, former you know Continental Champion. Obviously, he's the Hall of Famer, Greg DeHammer Valentine, one of the absolute greatest of all time, and like you said, Chad, the perfect guest for the two-year anniversary show. And it was funny, we had another guy kind of lined up, and we all of a sudden were interviewing Greg Valentine. We're like, oh my God, this you know, this is huge, it's perfect. To tie in again with uh, Brutus Beefcake being the 200th episode, just cool to get the other Dream Team member and Greg the Hammer Valentine to be the two-year anniversary guest. And you can't get much bigger than Greg. You can't get much more important than Greg. And I just love, you know, him and his awesome career. And like you said, great point by you, by the way, he was a... Uh, great take an awesome take on his you know what he thinks about wrestling today and that was something i didn't think we were going to get out of him but that was a really cool thing that we kind of just threw out there like hey whatever you think about wrestling today and he has a lot to say about a great take on it and obviously he's a master of the business master of psychology one of the best of all time for sure and i you know i, I said it once i'll say it again and i know chad you said it he's the absolute perfect guest for this two-year anniversary show 
You know, we both mentioned the Tito Santana matches and the Tito Santana feud. And those two just go together so well. And both of their stories really intertwine. If you go listen to the episode with Tito and John, both you and I, getting the chance to talk to Tito personally, he just, he talks so highly of Greg the Hammer Valentine still that it's cool that these two guys who had such a heated and intense rivalry really look back at it so fondly and have such a great relationship and are so professional about what they were able to do with each other in the ring. It's just, it's such a cool story. But another feud of Greg the Hammer Valentine that is a personal favorite of both you and myself is with rugged Ronnie Garvin, former NWA world champion Ronnie Garvin. And when Ronnie Garvin appeared in the WWF in the late 80s, it was kind of a head scratcher because it was really out of left field. He had left the NWA and he didn't really fit the WWF mold. And wink, wink, nudge, nudge, more to come on that in the next uh, couple of episodes. But with Ronnie Garvin's appearance in the WWF, the, the guy who ended up he, he worked best with was Greg the Hammer Valentine, and it was such a hard-hitting feud, and you were able to talk to Greg about that before the interview actually started, and it was one of the things that really caught his attention about getting on uh, the line with us. But, John, talk about that feud. Talk about some of those matches and just how stiff and intense they were and that if you haven't seen them, that that's something you definitely have to go back and take a look at because there's a couple matches that really stand out as some of the best of the entire decade of the 1980s. Well, yeah, I mean, with Greg Valentine, you can't talk about his legendary career without speaking about some great, great views that he had. First one that comes to mind, like you just said, Tito Santana. And what was really cool when talking to Greg off the air, where you mentioned Tito, and we were talking about him, and it was funny because I literally was just with Tito the weekend before, and Tito, of course, was talking about Greg and saying, uh, talking about Greg and saying how stiff he was, but he just absolutely loved working with him, and not stiff in a bad way, saying that he, that's the style he liked. He liked when the guy was snug, so it looked more real. And he said when you were with Greg, which is so funny, and we mentioned this too, Greg, uh, it was like you were in a real fight. It was like it was something that you know you were had to go to battle for so he loved that feud obviously over the ic title they had so many great legendary matches we talk about them all in this interview with greg and if you want to go back and listen to our first year anniversary show with tito santana you can find that on the archives on podomatic so check that out as well but it's really cool kind of to get greg's take on it as well and he had nothing but respect for Tito and Tito obviously had nothing but respect for Greg so that was some cool stuff some cool talk it's awesome to get to talk to both guys and get both their perspectives on it so I really really enjoyed that and then of course Chad you mentioned one of my favorite feuds of all time and again we talked to Greg off the air about this one as well and that was Ronnie Garvin rugged Ronnie Garvin Mr. Hands of Stone and it was funny when we were talking to Greg Offair, he kind of like lighted up a bit when we were talking about Ronnie Garvin. So he loved that feud, loved the stiffness, loved the kind of what they had together, the chemistry, and how it was put together. And obviously, coming up in a future episode of Two Man Power to Wrestling, yes, Chad hinted at it, you will hear from the Hands of Stone himself, Ronnie Garvin. He will be on a future episode sooner rather than later, so check that out. But. I love Greg talking about Chop Fest. I love him talking about the stiffness. I love him talking about the awesome match they had at MSG and awesome match they had at the Royal Rumble. So really, really cool stuff from Greg. I mean, you can't get much better than Greg Dammer Valentine when you talk about legendary guys in the history of the business. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the hammer himself, Greg the Hammer Valentine. 
Very well said and so easily enjoyable. An absolute treat to deliver this for the two-year anniversary. And obviously, many more milestones to come for us, hopefully. And these two years have been so crazy. To see Greg Valentine be the two-year anniversary episode just does nothing to me but put a smile on my face. And John and I are really just living out some weird, sick fantasy uh, that we get to kind of experience on a nightly basis as God knows who's going to be on the other line when we pick it up and we end up publishing these interviews for uh, the listeners, and we really hope you guys enjoy. You know, I've said on previous episodes, we might not be the biggest show in the world, but we're going to give you the best content possible. And if you if you think we're a uh, best-kept secret, then tell some people the secret, because if you take a look at our lineup and you put it up against any of the big-time shows, obviously... I don't know. There's definitely uh, there's some competition there, but we need the word to be spread. So get on out there. Spread the word of the two-man power trip. Get on iTunes. Hit the old subscribe button. Give us a review. Hit us up on Twitter. Share all the memories and all the thoughts that you've had about previous episodes as well as tell us what you think of the current one. So, John, with that being said, I want to say that today's episode is brought to you by That Wrestling Club. And that wrestling club is a brand new box subscription service, and they're starting to get a lot out there, but that wrestling club really is in a class by itself, bringing you some of the most unique items that you're going to find in a subscription box, including customized trading cards that if you see the January box and you see the card that is attached to the January box on thatwrestlingclub.com, it may well blow your mind because, and I'm happy to say the January box did sell out, but... We've got one available for you, and all you got to do is get onto Twitter today as you're listening to this episode, share the tweet that will have the hashtag attached to it for the two-year anniversary, and then you will be eligible to win, possibly one, that Wrestling Club January box subscription, and we're hoping that somebody who's listening to this right now is a winner, and we will share that with the world once we figure out who the random winner will be. But, John, as we hear the music start to creep in, and for two years, I'm throwing it over to you. Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the hammer, Greg Valentine. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jeffrey McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. 
April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA United States Champion, a former NWA Tag Team Champion, he is a former WWF Tag Team Champion, as well as a former WWF Intercontinent Champion, he is a Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame and a WWE Hall of Famer, he is Greg the Hammer Valentine. Please enjoy. to be joined on the line tonight for the huge two-year anniversary episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling by somebody who's been talked about on the show so many times we've had on so many of his uh, tag team partners some of his greatest opponents and he literally needs no inter- introduction but what the hell he's a former nwa united states and tag team champion he's a former wwf intercontinental and tag team champion. He's a WWE Hall of Famer. He's a pro wrestling Hall of Famer. He is the one and only Greg the Hammer Valentine. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, You're right. There's only one of me. Thank God. Oh, uh, we're so happy to have you on. You're, you know, it's it's always so awesome to to get the chance to talk to somebody like you, you know, who John and I grew up watching. And obviously, you know, your, uh, you know, your days in the WWF are the days where people like John and myself started to watch wrestling. So we had to go back, and we had to go into the record books, we had to go into the history books, and learn all about your career, learn all about your father, learn about the pedigree of the Valentine family, but. What I think is so awesome to see is that you're still getting in the ring, you're still getting at it, and recently we had on an opponent of yours that you just took on about two weeks ago in Rocky Jones. We just spoke with him, uh, I guess, about a little over a month ago, and another guy who's still rocking and rolling, still getting in there, and uh, I guess the first question would be is, uh, how is it getting in the ring uh, these days? Well, other than... uh... This guy moving out the last minute uh, of my elbow drop the other night. I was I was over in Notre Dame, South Bend, and uh, the ring was it was raining and it was outdoors or baseball field, and I hurt myself a little bit. But you know, now I'm good as good can be, and and I got back in the ring just a couple of weeks ago just to see how it feel, and everything's fine. You know, I, a lot of people can't believe I. 
Like I was just talking to Ric Flair the other day. He can't believe I'm still getting in the ring. But I, you know, when I feel like I can't do it, you know, my timing was a little bit off after having like four months out of the ring, but I did a couple nights in a row and I, I felt great about it. I don't get tired. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're not out there all the time, you're, your timing can be thrown off a little bit because you're, you're, you're a little unsure. I wonder if this shoulder is going to work or not, but, you know, everything was fine. Oh, that's awesome. And to see, you know, I saw a couple of the pictures of uh, of the match and, you know, Rocky Jones is another guy who, uh, you know, he's he's constantly, you know, he's getting in there and uh, he's another one who's saying, you know, the same thing. You know, the timing might be off to start, but once you get a couple matches back under your belt, it's just like riding a bike and get in the ring with somebody like him, another veteran. Is it easier to see somebody across the ring like a like a Rocky Jones that's uh, obviously you know got a long time in the business? And uh, for somebody, if you're stepping away and coming back in, is it easy to have somebody across the ring that's uh, you know able to take care of you a little bit better? Sure. You know, I'm mainly an offensive guy when I'm in the ring, but. Uh, I don't let my opponents get too many too many shots on me. I'm pretty well offensive, especially this late in my career. I don't give up much, you know. So but yeah, you know, you'd rather be in there with somebody that's been around the block a couple of times and some guy that absolutely don't know what he's doing and and those kind of people I'll just take him down, torture him and I won't let him do anything, so <laughs> I still enjoy throwing a chop, and and uh, I love to throw chops or a hard hammer across the chest. You know, I, I love that. You know, and it's it's uh, you know, I guess I compare myself not musically, but you know these these guys have a lot more money than I do, but they still get out and do it, like Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney. It's just that you you were born to do this. You love it. Uh, and um, wrestling's a little different because you've got to be in decent shape. You don't have to be, like, um, running all over the place and, and stuff like that. But you've got to be in decent shape. you got to be, you know, you got to still be strong enough to do it. Unfortunately, I am, so... That was uh, that was one of the things that Tito Santana told us last year on our one-year anniversary show was that any time he felt he was in the ring with you, he almost felt like, you know, was getting out of a street fight because of that chop, because of the hammer. <laughs> and that's a great physical style. But do you think that physical style in 2016, if you were right now on the active roster of a, of a main company like WWE, do you think many of the guys today could handle the hammer, they could handle those uh, those knife-edge chops? Well, I'm sure they could. These guys are all in great shape. They're muscle-bound. They go to the gyms all the time. But, the, you know, if they started that crisscrossing and running, I'd just stand there in the corner and watch them. Come to me. You know, it's not about running around, uh, jumping over guys and jumping off the top rope. I never had to wrestle like that. I I see a lot of that stuff. I respect the athleticism, but that's not, you know, that's not the kind of wrestling that, that I like and will even watch. If I see, you know, I watch I watch a product now and then, and if I see a wrestling match, I'll watch it. But, you know, I say, gee, you know what, they're actually wrestling. So, you know, I, I 
I just hate all that running stuff, you know. Because it's, you know, you, I come from the generation where you make it look like a real fight. And, and <laughs> if you've got somebody down, all of a sudden you get up and start running, crisscrossing across the ring. What kind of crap is that? Come on. You know, you you, you got to make it look like, uh, you know, and, and going off the top rope, that's athletic too, but I hardly ever did it in my career. I didn't have a problem getting booked. The thing is, and, and I, you know, I'm totally old school, but I'm even older than old school because I came up with, you know, being raised by Johnny Valentine, who who could go out there and lay in a headlock for 20 minutes and then turn around and grab a guy's arm for another 20 minutes, and he'd have people riding and try to get in the ring. So, you know, it's it's like a psychology thing. Um, you don't have you don't have to play to the crowd for every kind of pop. All you gotta do is just you gotta you know you gotta have that psychology and make it look real, and you won't have a problem with it. But a lot of people have have a problem with that, believe it or not. Yeah, and to steal a uh, steal a phrase from the Hot Rod, you know, you guys were old school before old school was a uh, was a catchphrase or a nickname. But yeah, I didn't even know. One time I'm on some show, uh, I don't know who the guy was, up at the ESPN, he goes, old school. And I go, old school? That was the first time I ever heard that word. And But now, of course, it's used all the time and probably more more times than not. But, you know, I guess I am old school. You know, it's, uh, and it, but it's the best, I'm going to say it's the best school. Yeah, if you like uh, professional wrestling, old school is the only way to go, and that's uh, that's kind of how we uh, we do it here on the uh, on the podcast. But I'll tell you what, you know, you mentioned your you know your dad in there. We're gonna get to him in a minute. But is there anybody on that WWE roster? If you do get a chance to catch it, is there anybody that you uh, you actually enjoy watching, or is it just all kind of you know one lump show with uh, with a bunch of moving parts? Well, I don't watch it that much, to be honest, but. Um... Um, I guess because of his dad, and I know, you know, and I know the kid real well, is Randy Orton, uh, because he's old school and it's born into him. Uh, but I haven't seen him much lately. He's kind of in this tag team thing. I do enjoy the Wyatts because they're so bizarre, and. Actually, I guess one of them is Mike Rotundo, the, the main guy is Mike Rotundo's son. So there you got some more second-generation stuff in there, too, or third-generation, as it is with uh, Randy Orton. So, you know, it's it's, uh, it, it's good to see stuff like that, you know. It's entertaining to me, um, the Wyatts and, and how they do that. But then you... Then you uh, then you go with some guy kicking him, his opponent 15 times, and then the other guy hits him back twice and he falls down. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, come on, you know. I I had so many matches uh, that were literally dogfights, like with Ronnie Garvin and uh, Ric Flair and Piper and, and, uh, and Tito Santana and, me and B-Tech against the Bulldogs. I mean, these were competitive matches, and I think they blow away anything that you really see 
Nowadays, except maybe the main event at WrestleMania. I mean, I, there's a lot of good matches still out there, but we blow a lot of that stuff away. But they're, nowadays they're up against three hours of Monday night TV, and then they're up against two more hours on Tuesday night. The The product is watered down, and they got so much stuff going on. They, they You know, how, how are they going to come up with anything original, so that's why they talk so much. So, you know, well, I'd hate to have that headache of, okay, what am I going to do after I just finished Monday Night Raw? What am I going to do next week for three hours? You know, I mean, gee, Jesus criminy. I mean, how, how, you know, it's just way too much television. And then they got the pay-per-views every month. Good God. Yeah, the the pay-per-view thing is obviously uh, that has just gone completely south because it was the big four for the longest time, and you guys had the house show business, which is how you know we all grew up watching uh, the big shows. It was the monthly you know stops in the Garden or up in Boston or down in Philly. But you know, you mentioned in there your dad. You know, you mentioned a couple of these third and second generation wrestlers, and there's a lot of them now. Obviously, Randy Orton. Uh, Bray Wyatt, we saw Ted DiBiase's son a few years back trying to, uh, you know, penetrate the WWE landscape. Roman Reigns with the Samoans and the endless amount of Samoans that come in and out of uh, of the WWE. But do you think that these guys feel pressure now? Uh, maybe a different kind of pressure than, I don't know, if you even felt any, but they're following the footsteps of guys that have been TV stars, whereas your dad was a star, obviously, in the golden age uh, of wrestling, where the, le- the, the, the age that you guys all learned from. But now these kids coming in, they're learning from the TV stars. Do you think these guys feel a little bit more pressure than possibly you know, your era of wrestlers that were coming in? Well, it's certainly, it's certainly got to be a lot more pressure, I would think. You know, um, I don't know how much money. The, there's a certain amount of guys that make a lot of money, but there's not the whole roster, of course. Um, there's always that pressure to try to stay on top, and you know, the giant up there is a good friend of mine, and and you know he he can't change what he's done. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's a pressure on everybody concerned because I know the ratings are down. I don't know. Last time I heard it was one point nine, but then all ratings are down on TV right now with this. Just for this, so I think everybody's uh, watching Fox News or something. <laughs> but that pretty much the election's over. Maybe these ratings will come back and stuff. Even the NFL ratings are down. So, you know, it's it's uh, here. It is. You know, it's 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 just hard. It's hard to follow our act, just like all these new, you know, rock and roll and movies and everything. It's hard. It's it's hard to follow all the good stuff that's been done, you know, without repeating yourself. But maybe they should. You know, I would honestly say if they hired me, which will never happen, <laughs> if they hired me to be a booker in the WWE today, right away I would uh, tell everybody to slow down and I would tell them to grab a hold. And for a while people would probably be bored, but then – you know, if you slowed it down, you got everybody to wrestle again, and if you're going to throw a punch, you lay it in, and all that, and, and don't have guys running out to the ring every time something happens, you know. I mean, how many times did WCW do that, and it killed their business? 
you know, everybody, all the fans would be looking, who's going to run in, who's going to run in? And sure enough, someone ran in. So that's that's the, the thing of running out of things to do. So if they slowed it down and just had wrestling and wrestled for belts only and, and quit doing interviews inside the ring, I would stop that out completely and do, I would go back to locker room interviews. Uh, like with Gene Oakland and all that kind of stuff, you know, you you know, history repeats itself, and wrestling has always been like a full circle, and you need to get back to that that circle in the center where it all started in the golden uh, age in the seventies and the eighties, and even the nineties with the Attitude Era. I don't know what's happened now. It's like, like I said, they. They, they can't create anything new. What's WrestleMania going to be? Do you, do you know what the main event's going to be in, coming up? It's going to be uh, is right, Goldberg and somebody. Uh, Goldberg and uh, Brock, right? Yep, Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. It's a rumor, yep. Well, I think that would be a good one, you know, because they're, everybody knows who they are. Goldberg's a big, tough guy. And, and of course, Brock, you can't get any tougher than that. Um, you know, that's a good headliner. I don't know what the rest of it will be, but, you know, you got to have that. Maybe it'll bring Rock back for something, too. <laughs> the yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Well, you know, he's got the charisma in the movies, and he's the highest-paid actor in Hollywood right now. It's amazing. And the guy never even went to drama school, never went to acting school, mm-hmm. nothing. And... Well, I told my wife, yeah, but he was a wrestler. <laughs> but he's a good kid. He always is, and he deserves all the millions he's making. So. Rocky's awesome, and uh, it's awesome to kind of get your take uh, on current wrestling because, you know, when we were growing up, you guys were like, you guys were it. I mean, there was nothing better. Wrestling was number one. Like you said, the ratings were, were through the roof. Um, I know WrestleMania now is successful, but nothing else is successful. It's like people just care about the WrestleMania name, and you guys kind of, uh, you guys were the part of the people that created WrestleMania, basically. You know, WrestleMania 1, you guys were there. So can you just take us back to that golden era of the WWF, kind of when Vince started WrestleMania? Did you kind of, you know, foresee it becoming as big as it became? Well, I had a very good friend who was the booker, for WrestleMania one, which is George Scott. And, um, you know, he's the one that really gave me my first big break down the mid Atlantic. And he's actually the one that was instrumental in sending me up tonight to, to WWF in 1979. When I first started working with Backlund, uh, there were, there was at a point there where they couldn't even sell the garden out in 1979 because they had nothing to, uh, bullshit going on in the ring. All they, no one would ever grab a hold. No, they would poke eyes, pull hair. The matches were uh, worse than the worst match you'd see right now on TV. Um, it was just terrible. So they they fed me in there. I was like, hey, I can do something different. I'm going to grab an arm hold or I'm going to grab a headlock. Nobody even did that. And then I had the perfect guy to come in and wrestle with who nobody else could even wrestle with him because they they couldn't take the time to do it. 
and they weren't in shape to do it, which was Bob Backlund. And all we did was hour-long Broadways every night. But the guy, uh, the guy became a hell of a worker because of some of those matches. I'm not giving myself all the credit, but the fact that I could go out there and tire him out after 20, 25, 30 minutes to where he would actually start selling and actually learning, really learning how to work. Nobody taught this guy. I learned how to work because of, I came up in the Mid-Atlantic and I had to wrestle the Andersons for an hour-long Broadway with Ric Flair. I mean, all we did was hour-long matches, and that's that's how you learn the psychology of wrestling. That's how you get in shape of wrestling. You can't get in shape going down and working out in some ring in some dungeon somewhere or going to the world's gym or whatever and lifting weights. You learn wrestling by getting in front of a crowd and going out there and going for an hour every night. And I did the same thing with Tito and I did the, you know, so all these guys, that's what really brought that WWF. They started stealing guys that could, well, not stealing guys, they asked them to come work for them, but they started pulling guys out from all these different NWA territories and the guys, you know, from the South and Florida and stuff, because these guys, they they knew how to wrestle more than, than the WWF guys, or it had three W's back then, WWWF. <laughs> so it, it changed the landscape of the wrestling, and WWF became the real big power because they got the guys that could go out there and produce and make, wrestling was real, like Piper and and uh, all the other guys they brought in, Kimpatera and and, and uh, Don Morocco and the list goes, all those guys, just everybody was, knew how to work, you know, and knew how to perform and make it look real. And, and, uh, and when you make something look real, it is realer than, I mean, my matches, some guy asked me, how real were your matches? I go, well, here. Bend over and let me nail you across the chest with a hammer, and you tell me how that feels. I've done a lot of those with the comic cons, and I charge them $50. I say, I'm going to chop you as hard as I chop somebody in the ring, and they'll pay $50 to get it done. And and then they, they realize, you know, this ain't bullshit. It's for real. But the fact is me and Tito hit each other hard, and me and Ronnie and all the other guys hit each other hard. But that's just the way it was back then. You wanted the people on the first row to believe it, and you wanted the people in the in the cheap seats to believe it, and that's how you drew the money. The people were believers, at least. My dad had a saying um, that if you don't believe any of the matches, he used to tell me that too. He goes, if they don't believe any of the matches, just make sure they believe your match tonight, Okay. But it, it, it's a hard, you know, it's, I mean, you've got to be, I've had guys get really, really mad at me and because I pounded on them real hard and then they'd end up uh, throwing shots at my face and trying to knock me out, and that just infuriated me more. But, you know, that's that's what happens when you're stiff like that. But that was my style, and I wasn't going to change it for anybody. And Tito will tell you, Tito's a tough son of a bitch, let me tell you. 
Oh yeah, that's the only that's reason funny. he could take. My, that's the only reason he could yeah. take my beating, and he beat on me too. You know, I mean, a couple times he knocked me out in the ring. You know, but it, it was all a different era. You know, we uh, we complimented. Uh, I mean, we felt tough. We wanted to be tough, and you know, and, and it wasn't just about show showbiz and all that crap. My showbiz came off when I took my took my robe off. And Flair and all those guys, they worked their asses off to to make sellouts. And we paved the way for these guys, the guys that are doing it now. And these guys, you know, every generation has a better. The athletes are better. And it's not just because the steroids are better um, and all that kind of crap. But it's, it's the athletes are actually big. Men are getting taller. Women are getting stronger. I mean because of the good food and the good doctoring we have and all that. So every generation is just better, you know, better shape. Absolutely. But they need they need to go back to the, the wrestling and wrestling 101 and slow it down. That's the first thing I would do. And, you know, we're talking about WrestleMania 1 a little bit there because of the Junkyard Dog match and Junkyard Dog feud, which was really just like an underlying for your feud with Tito because obviously Tito comes out and kind of reignites that feud. But it was kind of just like a feud in weight. And, and it's funny, I was just talking to Tito uh, the other day, and uh, he was laughing because I mentioned in his matches with you, and, you know, they were stiff and everything. And he said he loved working with you. He had no complaints about the stiffness, but that some of the guys would say that, like, oh, my God, you know, Greg Valentine's killing me out there. How are you lasting? And he would laugh and be like, well, I'm just I'm just surviving, you know, some of the time. And he goes, because Greg is a hard hitter. But can you explain your chemistry with Tito? Because I know you said he was tough, and obviously you're tough as nails. But what was the chemistry like between you guys? Because you guys always had great matches. Well, we we actually started working uh, when I first came in there for my long run. I was in and out with Backler and Chief Strongbull and Morales and all these different guys I worked with before I actually got with Tito. And I was chasing him. This is when we went, in 84, we went nationwide, WWF. And I'm chasing him all over the place. He's the champion. And... Uh, I don't know. We just liked each other. There's, I don't know. He, he was such a natural baby face. And, and the people, you know, they'd look at me and they'd look at me. Right away, they'd hate me, you know, because I was arrogant. But, you know, he knew how to wrestle. He was a great athlete, good football player. So he didn't mind the snugness of my, of my, uh, my talent. And, uh, so even before we did the angle where it broke his leg and everything, we were we were having some great matches, and I was drawing great houses before I ever broke his leg and we did the angle where I, I got the belt from him. So we probably had three years of intense uh, intense wrestling each other. And it, it's my, he's my favorite opponent of all time, I, I've got to say that which is uh, pretty remarkable to say, given all the awesome guys you wrestled, but I can totally see why Tito would be, you know, the big feud. And, and it's pretty cool that, that you'd be able to throw the IC title in there because the IC title at that point was a huge, huge deal 
to a lot of people. Obviously, you know, it means, oh, you're technically the number one contender to the title, but obviously the IC title meant that you're probably the best wrestler, pound for pound, or whatever you want to say, probably the best wrestler on the roster. It was more the working man title. Did you kind of take great pride in being the IC champ? Yes, I did. And the other belt was the world belt. Hogan had that, you know, and, and Hogan had all the props going for him. And the big blonde guy from California, and he had all the, you know, he had all that going for him. But me and Tito could go, I remember going to Detroit, and it was just me and Tito in the main event, Intercontinental Champion, no world champion, no tag teams. I mean, we were the main event in Detroit, and we turned people away. That was in the afternoon, and then that night, we flew to uh, Boston and did the same thing, and we were the only main event. And so the IC championship belt, at least if you had two guys going after it, meant as much as that darn world belt, you know. And and then and Vince had faith that I'm gonna send these guys to Detroit by themselves, I'm gonna send them to LA by themselves because we could do it, you know, we could do it, and and uh, and we did it, you know. Obviously, you guys did it and did it very well, you know, selling out, you know, shows without Hogan. And was that kind of a, a little bit of, of a misnomer at that point? Because everyone, you know, obviously Hogan was the big star of, that, of the era or the big breakout star. Was that kind of like a little bit of a misnomer with that era saying that, you know, it wasn't just because of Hogan that that era got so over? You know, the other characters like you and Tito and Beefcake and Morocco also played a huge role in that? Well, I think everybody knew that, you know. Hogan got the biggest bucks. He had a separate deal and everything, but, um, you know, it was like, there was like, um, I guess there was 15 guys, 15 guys that, you know, the Iron Sheik and Volkov and this whole bunch of guys, probably about 15 guys in the 80s right there that, you know, we were a team that just drew all kinds of money. The matches were good from from the, the start to the to the finish, and um, you know it was just everybody knew how to work. Everybody knew everybody got along. That's another thing, and everybody was a happy family. You go into the dressing room nowadays. Everybody's playing with a phone or some game. Back in my day. Everybody was, it, it was a family. You know, it was a family. It wasn't the days of cell phones and stuff like that. So that has a lot to do with it, guys, you know, just hanging around, not, not socializing because of damn telephone there. But, you know, back in that day, it was a family. And we were out to make money from top to bottom, you know. And to be proud, and to be proud of our product. We were, we were proud to be in the WWF. I know I was. And I was proud when I was in NWA, but I was more proud when I was in WWF because they were, you know, they were they spearheaded the pay-per-views and the WrestleManias and the Royal Rumble Survivor Series and SummerSlam and all those, all those great pay-per-views and Monday Night Raw. Back then, I guess it was Tuesday Night Titans, but then they... We created Monday Night Raw and all that stuff, you know. So everything was 
innovative. Everything was cutting edge. It was a great time to be a pro wrestler in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, early 90s. And then, then they, you know, they kind of lost the, I kind of lost the it factor. Well, when WCW went down and Vince kind of took over everything, you know, it, uh, you know, you got to have competition to keep keep everything going. You know, if there's only one sliced bread on the, there's only Sarah Lee and nothing else. You know, I mean, it's, the bread's not going to be as good. Same thing with the wrestling. You got to have competition. They definitely, uh, you know, definitely need some competition for sure for now. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, it's never going to happen. We tried. I tried with my own company. I tried with the XWF. And uh, oh yeah, yep, with Hogan. And we had a we had a billionaire guy. And if he hadn't had a heart attack and everything, maybe we'd still be in existence. But uh, we had trouble. We had a great product, and. You know, with all this money and stuff we had, we couldn't get a TV deal. I don't know if Vince blocked it or just, you know, it was just so hard. And then TNA comes along, and the only reason TNA got on television because of Dixie Carter, but they did a, you know, they do a pay-per-view once a month, and that was the only kind of TV they had. And then finally they got a network spike or somebody to take them. But now they're out of business, so you know, or or very close to it uh, for sure. It's it's nothing like you know. We we kind of said the golden age was uh, you know your father's era, but the, really the golden era was really like you said that '80s era and those guys. And there's some memorable stuff. Obviously, you know, you played a, a huge role in that. And I'm thinking back to '84 when you said they went nationwide. You had a, a big time feud against Hogan. You had you know headlined MSG. You main evented there. Was it special kind of headlining MSG, you know, in the biggest company in the world at that point? Oh, sure. You were proud of that. I was, Madison Square Garden is, is, you know, you finally made it. You walk in there with your Halliburton and your whatever we had back then. and But, yeah, Madison Square Garden's the big daddy. But then there was so many other big arenas that we sold out too. But the garden was, you were the man if you were in the main event. You know, I, I got this whole saying, <laughs> which I'll put in some of my books. I've got a, my dad's book is coming out, and my book will be coming out later on next year. But, you know, I always tell everybody, I sold Madison Square Garden out 17 times. Could actually be more than that, but it wasn't less. You know, Rick Flair says he won the the world belt 17 times, they probably did. Well, I didn't win the belt 17 times, but I sold out the garden 17 times. That's why I started saying that. It's somewhere like that, you know. It's something, you know, it's something to be proud of. Uh, New York, you know, like the old saying goes, if you make it in New York, you make you can make it anywhere. And it's very true. I, I, my biggest fans are in New York. For sure. There's a big, big time uh, following for, excuse me, for the hammer up here in the Northeast. Uh, that, that's uh, that's definitely for sure. And 
it's funny because the Northeast obviously is a huge hotbed, but I'm thinking about the Baltimore cage match you had against Tito. Obviously, another huge memorable, you know, match in your career. You just seem to sit perfect with cage matches. I don't know, maybe you know, it could be the toughness, it could be you know, the way you handle yourself. Do you remember that cage match against Tito? Yeah, definitely. And there wasn't a lot of cage matches in WWF. That was one of the few ones. Um, well, at least there wasn't a lot that I was in. I think that was about the only me. I don't. I can't remember another one um, that I was with Tito, but that's that's where I lost the belt. But I didn't lose it in a bad way. And um, then I tore the belt up, and you know, it was. I wish I still had that belt that was all beat up now because I didn't realize <laughs> now there's, you know, now I'm flying over the country signing autographs and people are paying for it. And just think if I had that belt. Oh, my God, you know. Here, take a picture with this belt, the one I beat oh, yeah. up in Walmart. Yep. It, it would be great. It would be terrific. I, I asked Tito one time, I go, whatever happened to that belt? He goes, oh, my wife threw it in the garbage. Because <laughs> they gave him a brand new belt, you know. Yes, yep. His wife threw it in garbage. Can you imagine that? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't her fault. You know, it was a, it was a, I beat the hell out of it. But it was still together. Yeah. I yep. bet you'd like to have that belt, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> what, what, a collector's, still, yeah. what a collector's item, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, that, like, obviously, that's a great angle, and you destroying the belt is so memorable. But, it, you know, obviously led to them getting that title that uh, so many people know now, like that, that familiar look to that title. Right. But, you know, obviously that feud ends, and, and eventually you form a team with Brutus Beefcake. You guys become the dream team with Johnny V. Did you like um, teaming up with Brutus Beefcake? Obviously, it was a great team. You guys ended up winning, winning the tag titles. But did you like that at first, or did you want to be a singles wrestler? Well, I always liked being singles. But in in that case, you know, Brutus was a young kid. I knew Johnny real well. Um, but he was just our manager, but he never interfered much. But you know, Brutus would listen to me, and and for a to have a successful tag team, you got to have a captain. And so I was a captain. He listened to me, and we had some great opponents, the Bulldogs. Mostly it was the Bulldogs. And um, so I was I was happy with it. Yeah, I was happy with it because I was because I was a leader of the team. So and and. Uh, and Brutus looked good, and he learned fast, so it was very successful. I actually thought of the name the Dream Team just one day. I said it on on television, on an interview, and, and it stuck. And you know, that was before O.J. Simpson and the Dream O.J. Simpson and the Dream Team. I didn't copy it from them. I don't know where I heard it. Maybe it's basketball team or something, but it really stuck with us. And you know. A lot of people, we were the, even though we were the heels, the villains, they loved us, you know. They loved to hate us. You guys were a hell of a team. I love, you know, Johnny V with you guys as well. It was great because you got the veteran yourself, kind of a young up-and-comer. And Beefcake, 
you guys had great chemistry and you meshed well together. And you mentioned the Bulldogs, which is just another awesome team. Obviously, you guys had a big match at WrestleMania too. But what was it like working with the Bulldogs? Obviously, you know you like that kind of stiff style. So did you enjoy working with um, Davy Boy and Dynamite? I don't think I don't think Brutus enjoyed it, but he enjoyed the money, you know. And <laughs> they used to pick on Brutus a lot, but I was there to stop it and. Uh, we had some great matches, Saturday night main event matches. We had like two or three of them. They gave us the whole NBC thing, and and, uh, and then we finally it came to end at WrestleMania too. But, you know, it was a great I mean, WrestleMania three. We chased them another year after that, and we still threw big crowds going against them. And then Bruce finally went his own way, but they couldn't. Became the barber, and I went off and did other things. But I enjoyed that part of my career. Yeah, but I'm mainly a single, but I enjoyed that. Do you love the Dream Team? Obviously, very uh, memorable. Um, obviously, the Dream Team with Dino Bravo, not so much. But uh, the uh, Dream Team with Brutus, definitely. Did you uh, did you not like teaming with Dino Bravo? I like Dino as a person, but I, you know, maybe it was me. I'm not sure. I just. Uh, they took Brutus away from me, and they were trying to create. They wanted us to work with the Bulldogs and steal the Bulldog and everything. And I don't know, you know, that maybe that would have done a lot of money and everything. I was kind of in a, a strange place. I worked so hard to, for me and Brutus, and then they, they gave me Dino. And, and uh, you know, I, I maybe it was me. I don't know. I just didn't like it. And and I ended up quitting. And... Uh, you know, I, the office was going to be 100% behind us. They were going to be 100% behind us, and they were going to do something where we stole the bulldog. And now that I look back at it and realize that, you know, that probably would have threw a lot of money. But I wasn't about that back then. I was trying to – I was about – I wanted a real – they wanted us to come out with a, a dog collar with no dog there, you know, one of those collars that you <laughs> And it would have been funny and everything, but to me, I'm a seri- I was a serious wrestler, and I didn't want to do that. And it ended up biting me in the ass later on because I, I should have done it, you know. And poor yeah. Dino, he, poor Dino, you know, what happened to him was terrible. So... Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, obviously, you know, you quit. You kind of regret it looking back. But, you know, you, you end up coming back, coming back strong. Obviously, you know, there was a, um, the WrestleMania 4 tournament sticks out. You beat Steamboat. You lose to Savage. Two good matches there. But something to me that really, really sticks out, and I know we talked about this briefly uh, the other day, was your feud with Ronnie Garvin. And we just talked to Ronnie Garvin. And, boy, you know, he got excited talking about your matches. I mean, what a feud, and it was almost kind of an undercard feud, obviously, with the WWF at that time, but, man, that was an epic feud. You guys were so stiff with each other, and, you know, you guys would kill each other with those chops, but that was one of my favorite feuds looking back, and some of my favorite matches are you versus Ronnie Garvin in the WWF. Well, that was that was totally his idea, and he had a close connection with Pat Patterson. It was, you know, you know he was kind of like the booker along with Vince, and he... He had nobody to work with, and he came into New York, and uh, 
he was watching. At the same time, I was supposed to do an angle. Oh, I did do an angle with Don Morocco where I, I put the uh, the uh, figure four leg lock on superstar Billy Graham, and I was all ready to go to go against Don Morocco, and we all went to Europe, and and a bunch of people got fired in Europe. And Morocco was one of them, and uh, and I went to Vince, and I said, "Can you hire him back? I mean, wow, what's going on?" And so that's where Ronnie came into the picture, and he. He uh, he was just looking around at God because he was stiff too, and he was he in order to to get over, you got to have a guy that's going to take the punches back, and and I was the guy, and and he went to the office and said he had this had this idea to do this uh, um, retirement match, and uh, I would beat him, and and uh, he became a referee. And it was a great angle because he came out. He was a referee in matches with me, and, uh, and refereed my matches and caused me to lose. And and I begged Jack Tunney, the president of WWF, to, to reinstate him. And it was a great angle, and we beat the hell out of each other. But we loved it. That's that was the way we, you know. I used to watch Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair. Um, down in WCW wrestling like that, just chopping the hell out of each other. And so I know what Ronnie was all about. So um, we loved it. I saw him about a year ago somewhere up in West Virginia or something. He still looks great. And uh, I love Ronnie Garvin. I love those matches. Yeah, he spoke so highly and glowingly of you in saying that, man, you guys would go chop for chop and I remember you guys had an MSG match in 89 and I said it to Ronnie as well there was you know some online message board that I was in it was I think it was ranked either in the top 10 or the top 5 matches of the 80s so you know that match in 89 you know squeaked in there but obviously one of the best matches you guys literally outside the ring you guys beating the hell out of each other you just match styles so perfectly together Do you know you just felt the chemistry immediately with him well like I said I had seen him work with Flair and Flair was kind of like you know we were partners a long time so we had a lot of the same moves except he was a high flyer and I wasn't but you know I was really impressed the way him and Garvin were going at each other so I knew I was excited because I knew that I could work with this guy and bring back some of those matches that I had with Tito or the realism with Tito or the realism that I had against the Bulldogs with Brutus. So I I got all that back when I when I worked with Ronnie Garvin, you know. Definitely. And the, the Royal Rumble ninety, the submission match, you know, the sharpshooter kind of thing versus the figure four. Very memorable. Loved you guys, you know, wrestling together. You know, Tito's kind of your favorite opponent, but does Ronnie rank up there as well? Oh, yeah. Tito, Ronnie, yeah, the Bulldogs. Tito's number one, but Ronnie would be real close behind it because we just had that that same style. And he's a, he's a real man, you know, and it's just it's what I needed at that time because I didn't have anybody to work with, and he didn't either. <laughs> 
and nobody probably wanted to work with us, so we we did really, really well. You guys, uh, you know, obviously hell of a few, hell of a thing, but it's funny, uh, you know, after that, they kind of put you in... Pardon not, me? Wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was like a jokey thing, but after that, with, you know, your grave feud with Ronnie Garvin, they kind of put you with Honky Tonk Man as rhythm and blues, and it kind of, it was more entertainment than what you're, you know, the hard-hitting, strong style that you were. Did you mind doing the rhythm and blues, or did you not really want to do that game? No, I really didn't want to do it. Um, I didn't mind being Honky's partner with the blonde hair and everything, but, you know, um, but, you know, they, they, Jimmy Hart chased me around with a bottle of black dye for eight months and stuff, and so finally I just decided, you know, I'll give it a try, you know. I was, I'd been there 20-some years in WWF, so I, uh, with everything I do in wrestling, I, I go out 100% or even more, and uh, we made it work, and then he Vince hired the Road Warriors, so that was it for Rhythm and Blues. They put Honky Talk in the, uh, in the uh, radio, or not radio, but television announcing events and then then they uh they did a deal with me where they shipped me to Japan once a month and actually you know, it was all right. You know, I was going to Japan for about six months, gave me a, a break from the WWF. Then I came back with the blonde hair and kinda of did a baby face turn so so against Jimmy Hart but you know, the office wasn't really behind it. I wasn't really behind it. And, uh, you know, I was, after WrestleMania 7, I was ready to go. But, you know, you look at it, 1979 to 1992, that, that's a pretty long run in a big market like that. Oh, yeah. And uh, and after that, I, I did a few jumps in WCW and that, but I had a great independent run and went to... Uh, a lot of places, Europe, Japan, and all that, and independent. Uh, I was just asked to come to Germany a couple of months ago, but I, with all this uh, terror stuff going on, I, I was just, you know, I passed on it. I don't want to. I don't want to go to Europe. You know, I mean, you never know. Me over there with a the blonde hair, I'd be a, I'd be a perfect target. <laughs> it's it's funny. We just didn't. Uh, I don't think. Uh... We really got you as a as a babyface because we wanted to see you drop that hammer, you know, on the good guys, not not be one of the good guys. So I can definitely see, you know, as somebody growing up, we uh, we didn't really uh, we didn't really dig the when you got the theme music, then we knew it was all over because uh, we just wanted to see the uh, the the robe come out and a couple of those hammers drop on, uh, you know, some of those pretty boys. But so you did not like the uh, the babyface run for uh, for the hammer. No, because you got you got to be you got to be exactly the way you were as a villain to make it work. I've, I've watched my dad in in Texas, biggest heel of all time, and then he would come out and they put him against Flint Spawn Eric or some other heel. Naturally, he right away as a babyface, but he didn't have to change his style, and uh, you know. If I could have done something like that where I didn't have to change my style, it, w it was a real small 
baby face run. I worked with Dino around. And, um, you know, so no big deal. I, if the office wants to be behind it, that's fine. I don't, I, 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 I didn't like it. So I wouldn't, I wasn't ready for that. Now when I do independent shows, you know, they're so happy to see me because I'm not on television anymore. I'm, I'm right away a baby face, but I can turn that around to being a heel real quick, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, on the independent scene, uh, pretty much everybody becomes a baby face uh, in some way, shape, or form because, you know, you're the guy that everybody's there to see. But, you know, you mentioned your dad again, and I just, you know, growing up and, and learning more about the history of the business, you know, your dad was just such a, a polarizing figure, and everybody has a story about your dad. But what did he think of that TV era and how the business had evolved from, you know, the uh, the, the smoke-filled armories to, you know, such a huge... Uh, Vince-produced TV product. Well, my dad, God bless him, before he passed away in 2001, he um, he watched he watched me all the time because I was in WWF, and I know he enjoyed it. I mean, it it went from studio wrestling to to what you know from you know we did the Allentown thing that wasn't that bad. The matches didn't look bad coming out of Allentown, but you know, when you, you move, moved it into those big arenas, it, it made the product look better, of course. John, you there? Yeah. Yep, here. No, okay, I thought we lost John for a second. No, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the TV product is, uh, it was one thing, and, you know, learning from your dad, and this is something that I, I just was dying to ask you after we talked to Ronnie Garvin, and that was, how many guys did you and your dad both end up working with in those big-time feuds, because Ronnie Garvin mentioned wrestling your father, and obviously there's other guys that you've crossed paths with, but were there any guys that you and your dad really both had, like, uh, you know, extensive runs with? Yeah, there was one guy, Wahoo McDaniel, because I remember watching my dad wrestle Wahoo McDaniel in Texas, and then here I am later on, after my dad's plane crash and he's gone, and I'm in there in the mid-Atlantic area where he was, and here I am breaking Wahoo's leg and working with Wahoo all the time. And, you know, that was, you know, that was the main guy that my dad had, and Paul Jones down there too, by the way. So those guys right there, Paul Jones, Wahoo, McDaniel, they all worked with my dad. So they... uh like Wahoo used to say, he beat me so hard that he made me tough, and he did, you know. And I'm half the time I can't believe it's me in there with Wahoo. It's my dad, you know. <laughs> I saw so many of those matches. So yeah, I would say Wahoo. Wahoo was definitely that person that we both worked with. And if you you know really are a true wrestling fan, you remember Greg Valentine wearing that awesome. I broke Wahoo's leg shirt, which is right. especially for that era. It's just so funny. You didn't see a lot of that stuff, but was that your idea? That awesome t-shirt? Actually, actually that was George Scott, George Scott's idea. And I thought he was crazy. Oh yeah, no, and, absolutely. Uh, and we appreciate the time. And I, you know, and it, it, sometimes we, we like to cut him a little bit short, but we get lost, especially when we got a subject like you, and we really, I mean, for a two-year anniversary, we couldn't be any more 
thrilled to walk down memory lane with you. Like I said, we get lost going down that highway, but, uh, you know, if there's anything else you'd like to say before we let you go, Mr. Valentine, this has been a thrill, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, I, like I said, I'm still wrestling, and it's like 40-some years. I, I don't even want to think about how many years, but I started in the early 70s, and, and I'm still going, and wrestling is, will always be a big part of my life all the time, and, and uh, I appreciate the fans, and uh, I've got my Johnny Valentine book coming out, my dad, my dad was, it's not a typical wrestling book, but it's a... Uh, it's a book about all the ribs. All you know, he was a big river. He played a lot of jokes on a lot of different wrestlers, and uh, you know, it's, it's a real, real good book. It's going to be a great book, and it's going to be a good read. There'll be some wrestling in it, but I know the fans are going to like it. It's probably going to be out in about the middle of January. So. Awesome. And I've got wow. some forward. I got some stuff in there where. The jokes he played on me when when I was first starting out, and uh, we did some road stories together, and and uh, so I I'm gonna be really happy when this book gets out. So yeah, Definitely. to all the fans that uh, to look for that, and I'll be out on the road doing wrestling conventions and comic cons coming up coming up this year. I'll be at Russell WrestleMania and WrestleCon all that stuff in Orlando coming up. So, hey, Like the great Gorilla Monsoon said, it always took about 20 minutes to get Greg Valentine started up and, and ready to roll, but we thank you so much for getting in right out of the gate and going down memory lane. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Okay, well, thank you, John. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.